Welcome to the Walter Paisley Movie House, your home for the little engines that could not. I'm here today with myself and Josh Arnold from the Bob and Tom Show, the nationally syndicated morning radio show located here in Indianapolis where we are. Today's show is sponsored by the George Maharis Memorial Bathroom Stall right next door to the Perfecto Teles one in the Richfield Oil Gas Station in Hollywood, California. Josh, how you doing? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thanks. Good, good. So, Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So Dean Metcalf said that you and I need to talk. And um, Dean, uh, for those who don't know, uh, Dana Gould, who was uh, connected to me by Dean. So a big thanks to him. And he said, you know, if you're talking to people about cult films, I've got the guy for you. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Dean is the uh, the producer of the Bob and Tom show, for those who may not know. And um yeah, he's he's not wrong. Uh, I'm a new movie nerd, and uh, when it comes to cult films, I'm I guarantee I'm not nearly as uh, educated as you, but um, I I, uh, I I certainly love talking about them. Awesome. So you're he said that you're really interested in horror uh, for the most part. Is that correct? Yeah, big horror yeah. fan. Yes. Yeah. Okay. What was your first touchstone with horror? You know, uh, probably creep show and um the Hall halloween one and two those are yeah. the those are the films i remember uh being really young and being introduced to interestingly enough i was introduced to creep show by my grandmother nice. she was a uh, a huge uh scary movie fan mm -hmm. and she kind of taught me um, with like inadvertently, she, she didn't like sit me down and talk to me about it or any ever like that, but that horror to be scared is fun. It can be fun. It, it's not something, uh, you can, um, to like a lot of people go, oh, I don't like it. Cause I get scared. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I go, well, I like it cause I get scared. <laughs> right. There's I, that, I, I was going to say, we, we talked before on the podcast, that fine line between comedy and horror and how it's, yes. it's razor thin. It where, sure is. where you, you it's a jump scare is nothing more than a punchline. It, right. And I would always point out one of, one of the more fruitless things I've ever done. Um, part of that Gen Con gig I do is uh, teach. And I'm putting air quotes around this stand up to people who want to try it, which you can't, it's almost impossible to teach comedy. I don't think you can, but the one thing I do say is that I talk about that fine line and, you know, I ask them, what's the first thing you do after something scares you in a film? And mm -hmm. inevitably someone goes, you laugh. I'm like, exactly. Cause it's the yeah. same reaction every fucking yeah. time. So <laughs> comedy is one of those weird things that you, you can't teach, but you, you have to learn. Yeah. You can't, you can't be taught it, but you have to learn it. <laughs> yeah. You got to go out and get your ass kicked basically. Exactly. <laughs> or have yeah. a miserable, a miserable childhood. Either one will work. <laughs> John, I, I uh, was an interview with John Landis. He said that he thinks horror and comedy are pretty much the same thing because uh, they both elicit involuntary responses. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, he's, he's dead on. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like American werewolf in London, hands down, probably one of the best horror comedies ever made. Sure. And I mean, and creep shows quite funny. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, it, you know, it's got that macabre East, obviously EC comics mm -hmm. sensibility and uh, yeah, plenty of gallows humor there. Um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, that first Texas Chainsaw Massacre, people, I think they missed Toby Hooper's very, very pitch black humor, but there's some great comedic moments in that that are so 
mixed with the nightmare that's going on for those people that you kind of miss it. You know, and I am one of those people that has trouble really seeing the the comedy in there at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, so I would I'd love to know what you consider to be some of the funnier scenes in that. And I'm not ta- unless you're talking about, um, you know, the brother in the wheelchair uh, giving the raspberry to uh, his sister and her mm-hmm. friends. That kind of, like, to me, that's not really that that's more uh, slapsticky. But like the right, I, I think the dinner scene, even though you're watching Marilyn Burns, like in this nightmarish scenario, the way it's shot, that POV shot of them all in her face and everything, the grandpa hopping around. It's very darkly comic. Well, and certainly um, them trying to get the grandpa to hit her over the head head. (laughs) because he's so, so very clearly unable to do it. And they keep going, you can do it. I can. Yeah, I guess I do see that, but I'm, I'm so disturbed during it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's one of those two. It's I, I, there's so many movies. I wish I didn't know the behind the scenes on because that scene mm-hmm. in particular, I mean, Marilyn Burns was in hell, literally the actress, that room was like 120 degrees. The food was real. It'd been there for days. So it was rotting. It stunk. There were insects everywhere. The actors were getting out of control. The lights were hot. You know, just everything was <laughs> adding to this nightmare for her. Uh, her performance is absolutely genuine. <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Do you know, did they shoot that movie in sequence? You know, I don't know. That's a really uh, yeah, good I don't question. Know. I don't know. Um, I but doubt I heard it. it. I, yeah, I know. Because there's but all those exteriors, like at the gas station and stuff. But right. I could see once they get to the house, maybe. But I don't the know. The way her character um dis- descends into into utter madness yeah <laughs> and rightfully so because she's she's essentially she's cracking up in, mm-hmm. in, in the back of that pickup truck yeah um you would almost think that they went in order because of how how crazy right now did you know if she ever looked to to toby hooper and said i need a break what, what are you guys doing to me in that scene she absolutely did and he in a very kubrick manner said no no use it okay yeah yeah Yeah, so he nearly shelly devolved her yeah pretty uh... much yeah (laughs) (laughs) my son and i actually had the opportunity we went on a a month-long road trip and it was kind of one of those we didn't really know where we were going we we Mm -hmm. had a couple destinations in mind so we just kind of winged it and we wanted to go see austin we'd never been there and along the way we stopped at the gas station uh, which they kind of turned into a barbecue house slash museum to the movie. Oh. And then the actual house they shot in, they moved it to Kingsland, Texas, which is just outside of Austin and turned it into a really good restaurant actually, which is pretty funny. I've but, heard that. Uh, it's, it's gorgeous. And they've, they've expanded it. They've changed the porch and everything. So, but once you walk in that front door, he and I both walked in that front door and it took our breath away. The, wow. the, the big steel door is not there, but in our mind's eye, we saw it slamming shut in front of us, oh, you know, it was man, which is staircase and everything. It's absolutely cool. That is one of the most chilling moments in horror when he slams that door and there's just that one note mm-hmm. ring, or whatever, whatever weird thing Toby Hooper had in right. the uh, Foley room or whatever. Like, <laughs> uh, man. Yeah, yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. It, it was just, just being there, you know, you kind of just feel 
And, you know, you impose a lot of that because, you sure. you know, I've spent my life watching that movie and forcing friends to watch it and shit. So when I was in there, it was that energy was just so cool to me. And of yes. course, the waitresses are jaded. They don't care. They're just like, where do you want to sit? Just order something. <laughs> <laughs> what are you, would you suggest that um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which isn't, you could argue, isn't accessible for everybody mm -hmm. in terms of... Uh, <laughs> you know whether or not they like it that kind of thing yeah would you what are your thoughts on on part two i would argue that's even less accessible um it is that it's it, almost even more cultish than the than the original it absolutely is it falls definitely under a cult film um i mean dennis hopper's performance alone the the campiness of it is kind of what makes the film you know just that over the top which really only Dennis Hopper can pull off and that something like that yeah. and still make it believable. Um, and the, I know that I, I actually watched it with some folks who'd never seen it before. And uh, the humor threw them off because yes. it's very broad compared to the first. It's a, it's more, it's a, I mean, Bill Mosley's chewing the scenes up and uh, Leatherface doing the hump dance with the chainsaw and everything. They had a lot of fun watching it, but they're like, this is not at all what I expected given right. what the and first film was. Was that, um, I, it's, I guess it's my understanding, that was Hooper's intent. Yeah, was, absolutely. Was to go, hey, you, we're not, I'm not giving you what I gave you last it was time. A, it was kind of a fuck you to the studios too, where they're like, you know, remake that magic. And he knew he couldn't. He's like, I'm going to have fun with it and do something yeah. new. And uh, I think he was more interested in moving on to other projects anyway. He did Life Force not long after that and, and right. was, was doing a lot of other things at that point. But um, actually, Bill Mosley, I heard him in an interview. He and Caroline Williams wrote a sequel to it where Leatherface and Stretch team up and just <laughs> basically go hunting in the city. <laughs> 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 oh that's great I'm like i want to see that film <laughs> yes i i truly believe um bill mosley should have been nominated for a best supporting actor for the texas chainsaw absolutely Master he was and having so much fun he and i kind of you, you look back at who's been nominated over the years there's mm -hmm. no excuse for him not to have been except yeah. for the fact that the academy would have would have had, had to go we're nominating somebody from Texas Chainsaw right? <laughs> but he, who, I mean, he embodies that role yeah. in a way that, um, who will you he, so much so that he owns it now. You, you yeah. couldn't picture and to also to, to uh, step in to a character that was originated by somebody else. Yeah. Um, yeah. How rare is that for the next person? That's like Joe Cocker. Uh, one-upping the Beatles, right? Cover <laughs> <laughs> that's essentially what Mosley did, and that's that's not to say that uh, I forget the actor's name who played the original hitchhiker. Uh, oh, the first I, one. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what it is. On he was, hand. I mean, that guy. You almost don't even know if he's acting. He's so, he's so good, <laughs> right? <laughs> the guy who plays Grandpa still does the con circuit, and <laughs> I, the first time I met him, I didn't know who the hell he was. He was, we were just, my son and I were at a horror hound con and we're just hanging out. And this dude just starts chatting with us. He's not near his table. And I'm kind of looking at him and he's slightly familiar. Eyes were just bloodshot. You could smell the weed reeking off of him. <laughs> and he's just talking. Some dude comes up and talks to him and wanders off. And he's just like, that guy's an asshole. He came <laughs> up to me at the party last night. 
And we're like, hey, good talking to you, man. Then we see him walk back over and get behind his table. We're like, that was fucking grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and wasn't he like 17 or something? Yeah, he was super young. Yeah. So yeah. like, yeah, he's he's uh because that's why I mean I never would have guessed who he was. <laughs> right. So <laughs> that's wild i you know and i guess the first sign to the studio if they hadn't already seen like if they hadn't been watching dailies or have seen a final cut when uh that toby hooper was giving them the finger right. may have been the poster for a texas the Chainsaw breakfast 2, club thing where he's totally parroting the breakfast club <laughs> I mean, what a, what a I don't know if that song. was a marketing decision or his. I don't know who came up with that, but it's brilliant. It's it absolutely is. brilliant. It like really yeah. captured sort of the tone of yeah. not necessarily the film, but of the, uh, hey, that we're going to have fun with this. Yeah. Why do you think Marilyn Burns, well, what did she do after that? I'm going to cheat and go to IMDb real fast. Sure. I feel like she may have been, but I could be way wrong. She, I've only seen it once. She ended up on the con circuit and was just the absolute sweetest person in the face of the planet oh right given on. all she'd been through uh let's see she did oh she did do the texas chainsaw i forgot she had a, a scene in that oh that's and right. then she also did um she was a i do know this she was an extra in texas chainsaw the next generation which if you haven't seen that one i'm treat, actually somewhat of a an yourself. apologist yeah i'm an apologist yeah she was Faye and eaten alive yes she was okay yeah, yeah. So another Hooper thing, but she she didn't get uh, you know she certainly didn't Jamie Lee Curtis to stardom. No, no, no. Um, I mean, hmm. who has? I mean, there there are very few scream queens who went on to do anything else, but Man, be, you're right. Be more more scream queens, you know, and it's it's fine. I mean, it's great. I'm Debbie Rashan has over 250 films to her name. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> Danielle know? Harris. Danielle Harris has always been on the cusp. Yeah, of mainstream, um, she's a, sort of stardom. She's like at every con, and she's usually the most popular person there. I'd never gotten her autograph simply because I didn't want to wait in the line. But um, it, I went to the last days of the dead, and she was there, and there was no line. So I'm like, well, yeah. finally, I'm going to go. So I went and got her autograph and spoke with her for a few minutes. She's very gracious and sweet. Very. Um, yeah, absolutely. I know she's got both horror hound and days of the dead have specific people that work with her because quote they can spot her stalkers yes and she's got uh from what i understand a plethora of like legitimately threatening yes um stalkers yeah so she's got the same people that work with her at every con because they know who to look out for oh, which is good. a sad sad thing it is man because those conventions are overall incredibly positive horror and, conventions uh, are the best they are Absolutely. and if you were so if i were if you were to talk to somebody who'd never been to one and maybe wasn't a big horror fan they might go man what kind of weirdos and creeps are walking around that right. place and you go well misfits maybe yeah but the 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 happiest most positive people you've ever mm -hmm. seen <laughs> i used to friendly I did a bit where it was, um, I do it at Gen Con and I'd, I'd rank the cons by the people who are there. And I'm like, Gen Con, 99% of the people are very snobby. They're going <laughs> to snub you if you don't know what they're into. They're not going to want to share it with you. 
<laughs> then you go to like a wizard con and it's it's a lot of people who watch the walking dead but don't have any touchstone outside of that or stranger <laughs> things and they want to go meet those stars and then horror cons 99 of the people are the nicest fucking people in the world they it's want great. you to know what they love they want you yes. to love it too they want to share it but that one percent is creepiest people you'll ever meet in your life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it's not. Um, you know, in a, in a, in a culture now where toxic fandom Absolutely. is a thing, yeah, you don't really get that at these horror conventions. Not it's at the all. Exact opposite. Not at all. Uh, it, but you're right, except for the one percent that's a little, yeah. little creepy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And not necessarily awkward because I get awkward when I meet. Sure. Uh, Adrian Barbeau or oh, God. <laughs> um, a dream of meeting her. And I would be, I would be awful. I just stand there and just, uh, my, my <laughs> meeting with her couldn't have gone worse. <laughs> and she, she was gracious throughout the whole time. And mm-hmm. she was lovely. Yeah. But I was nervous and, uh, I went up and I, and there was nobody else around. And I, um, just said, Hey, I'm a, I'm a, a very big fan. I've really enjoyed everything you've done. And, uh, you know, your typical sort of mm-hmm. fanboying. uh, yeah. And I said, uh, uh, and here I went, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, in my mind, I was like, I'm going to get a little personal. So she knows that I am a fan and all. <laughs> and I go, uh, I go, how's John doing? And she goes, what? And I go, oh, yeah, how is John uh, doing well? And she goes, John Carpenter. I go, yeah, yeah. She goes, yeah, we, we've been divorced for like 15 years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't I, in my head I was like oh yeah they're still living this happily <laughs> like it, and uh I go oh oh and I go uh I go okay and uh I go well I'm looking forward to seeing you in Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 and she goes yeah my scenes made the, uh, they're on the cutting room floor <laughs> <laughs> I went oh for god's sake I can't do anything right here so I just went, you know, I go, look, it was really nice meeting you. Thank you. And I just walked away. Like, I, I got everything oh, wrong. That's <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> so she was very, very, very kind throughout. But I, I was, yeah, I, I, I was an idiot. I got too excited. Mm-hmm. I didn't. Uh, yeah. So I get it. I don't think yeah. there's anybody who goes to those cons that doesn't have like one of those interactions. Mine was Sherilyn <laughs> Finn. It was, oh, you know, dude. I was so excited to meet her, Twin Peaks. Yes. I mean, are you kidding me? Right. Um, part of it Is was there... her, part of it was me. She was she was not enthused to be there, and it was obvious from the get-go. Okay. And um, you know, she was on her phone, and I'm standing there, and I'd paid and I had my the little Laura Palmer diary I was having them all signed. <laughs> right. And the lady kind of tapped her shoulder and she looked up at me and was like, hi. And I was like, oh, this is going to go great. Yeah. <laughs> so I got a little defensive and it just wasn't, I, I mean, it was fine. It was cordial enough, but by the, I was like, that was a bummer. Cause I just spent a half hour talking to Dana Ashbrook in length about like his turn on psych when they did the parody of Twin Peaks and stuff, you know, he was great. <laughs> right. She just, she just didn't want to talk to anybody. Didn't want to be oh, there. Bummer. <laughs> bummer. And you know, it's one of those things where if you're going to do them, really embrace it but yeah. i totally get how it's got to be exhausted it's gonna be jading yeah. yeah yeah it's tough people sometimes <clears throat> don't know what to say they so they say dumb things like mm-hmm. like i did they um you know they hover yeah they they're nervous you're gonna see the best and worst of people yeah. as one of those celebrities at, at one of yeah. those places 
I'd say of the the best I've met, Rod, Rowdy Roddy Piper was probably hands down the best. Um, That's great. Just genuine asking questions of my son, listening, responding to what he answered, asking more questions, just genuinely interested in you. Um, and that was at a con where there were there was some juggalo band playing. So there were juggalos, wrestling fans, horror fans. John yeah. Waters was there. It was all over the map fan wise. And he had all of them in his line. And yes, every single one he dealt with as a human being. And he was that's fantastic. so great. I um boy, he's one of he's he was always my favorite wrestler. Oh yeah. And then uh, just a great it, showman and and yes. And of course, so I mean, funny. Hell comes Piper's, to Frogtown and right, right. <laughs> I, I think, and he's still he's involved in the, what I think is the greatest fight scene in a movie with They Live. They Live, yeah. David, which you put the glasses do, on. Do you know the running time of their fight? Uh, it's, it over, like, it's over seven minutes. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. It's really long. It's really long. It's it's awesome. Yeah, and um, it's fantastic. Yeah, I didn't get to. I, I wonder if it was the same con uh, because his line was so long that I didn't I didn't wait, mm-hmm. but I should have. Because he wasn't with us anymore. Uh, shortly thereafter, it was the when we met him. It was three months before he died. Yep, I, yeah. it must have been the same the same time. Then. That yeah. was a uh, Days of the Dead Shock Fest, I think. Because I took my son, John Waters was there, and he was doing This Dirty World live. Oh, and cool! So I took my son to see that. He was like fifteen or so, sixteen, and he's kind of like, "Why are we listening to some old Queen talk?" And then John Waters, <laughs> the first three minutes, starts talking about rose budding, which is when assholes prolapse. <laughs> <laughs> he looked at me he's like what is happening i'm like stick with it kiddo this is gonna get good <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> fantastic <laughs> so let's back it up a little where did you grow up st louis missouri okay in, Who in the it? suburbs okay um a suburb called fenton and um we were lower class mm-hmm. uh not we lived in a sort of middle class area but we were um yeah we were poor and mm-hmm. um didn't we knew it but we weren't unhappy so um we you know my parents four boys and they uh they did everything they could to make sure we had uh, nice christmases and uh, we got to go out to eat every now and again and stuff like that mm-hmm. but in doing so i think they just went into credit card you know they yeah. they they um didn't make the wisest decisions but they made wonderful decisions for uh for us to have a good you know a nice mm-hmm. childhood stuff like that yeah. i've no I had, a, I had a great childhood and cool. um my mom loved horror my dad was a fan but not to the extent that my grandma my mom's mom and her were and my aunt my aunt introduced me to stephen king books mm-hmm. and um yeah and my brother my older brother was also into horror too so we would watch you know, the, uh, the fright, we would rent all the Friday the 13th and all that stuff. And it took a long time for me to, uh, I, I was a mainstream horror guy, whatever mm-hmm. the big studios were doing. That's what I was watching pretty much. Right. Anything that went to a theater. Okay. Um, yeah. and I kind of held my nose up at the stuff that didn't. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it wasn't until I was older where I went, Oh no, there's some wonderful stuff out there that wasn't widely distributed. And, yeah. And, so I started to visit that stuff. Did you guys, did you watch the late night horror host out there? We didn't have one. You didn't have one. Okay. No. I wasn't sure if St. Louis did. There and, were a lot no, of There may have been a time. 
there may have been a time where there I think was one. most major cities did at one point in time, but it was right. variables when they would fall off. You but know, in the eighties, I'm uh, 43. I was born in 78. So okay. you know, mid eighties, um, there wasn't a horror host, but the local, um, not UHF stations, but you know, the, mm-hmm. the, uh, they would always show horror movies at mid, you know, at midnight uh, mm-hmm. uh, on Saturdays and stuff like that. So I would often yeah. stay up and watch those. And that's where I got my, that's where I was introduced to movies like Motel Hell and oh, um, yeah. some of your uh, back, back then, like sort of lesser known, grittier almost yeah. uh, horror movies that, that we weren't finding at the video store. Um, <laughs> or if we were, we were ignoring them for, you know, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 4. That right. Kind of thing. Anything like Hammer films or anything like that they showed that you got into? Uh, a little bit. They would mm-hmm. uh, show those on like Sunday afternoons. Yeah, they were cheap. So that's, yeah. that's usually was their go-to. They'd show Hammer films or uh, the Corman films that were in public domain because somebody forgot to secure copyrights or whatever. So. <laughs> right, right. And it was a mainstream movie that got me into Corman. It was, of course, it was the remake of Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah. And I, I loved it so much. And then yeah. my parents bought me a video cassette of the Corman mm-hmm. uh, original. And that's where I went. Oh, uh, and then sort of doing started doing research. And like, remember, you would go to the library. How old are you? I'm 50. I'm going to be 50 in March. So, okay, yeah, cool. I'm so just you about six go, years older than you. Yeah. You were probably the same kid I was where uh, I couldn't afford to subscribe to Fangoria, but I would mm-hmm. go to B. Dalton and uh, grab a copy and sit in in between the rows of books and read it (laughs) i actually that was where all of my spending money went was to fangoria and the shit i could get out of the catalogs from the back of fangoria (laughs) my mom would talk about the horrors of finding fingers she'd just walk around and there'd be severed fingers laying around (laughs) nice Nice. (laughs) and then every now and again you'd go to a library and there'd be a book of uh, like you know classic horror or whatever yeah. and i i would look through i would check it out and i would look through that going man where can i see these movies like what was it like the creeping flesh and yes. uh, <laughs> this, like i've never i can't find these anywhere so i would mm-hmm. just read about them and um there would always be some picture of you know dick miller yeah uh or um uh or whatever creature was in uh i remember that you know the movie the night of the demon yeah. Oh, yeah. That that sort of almost teddy bear, evil teddy bear looking. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I would, the, uh, like, that, it's got that gore filled, wonderful scene with the horrible. That soundtrack is like a it's like a saw being scraped across a chalkboard when he's murdering yes. everybody in that cabin. Dude, and it's it's insane. That movie's <laughs> it's, great. It's so much slow motion. <laughs> it's, <laughs> <Yeah>. fantastic. <laughs> it's just the best. I have a compilation I run every once in a while of great movie deaths. And uh, when I screen movies here in town, sometimes I'll just throw it up between movies. And that entire sequence is in there. Because oh, like, every death in that scene is just over the top and awesome. <laughs> For my money, th- one of the best death scenes that's in one of the worst movies, because uh, I think that is a topic. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, is Ghost Ship. And the, I know oh, I'm not, I can't be the first person. The to cable. Say yeah. 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 The cable that, scene's great. The movie can't follow that scene. It's an <laughs> awful movie. That's the only good scene in it. <laughs> but that scene should be in, in compilations like yes. that of uh, unbelievable, <laughs> unbelievable. 
in terms of horror, in terms of how horrific it is, gore, etc. So what was your video store like? Did you go to a local one or one of the chains? Both. Okay. Um, the first, our, our, the main one was a, uh, a local video store. Uh, we called it the little quick shop because nice. it didn't really have a name. It was just like this tiny house mm-hmm. that was converted into uh, a grocery store slash a liquor store slash video store. Okay. And uh, I grew up in Southern Indiana, so that makes total sense to me. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. (laughs) And you would walk in and the new releases would be right there on this small shelf. And then if you wanted to see the older movies, you had to go like way deep into the back of this place in between these very narrow aisles. So uh, uh, like in back of you would be shelves of spam and treat. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you would turn around and there would be a, a shelf of older movies that you could check out. And um, I always, uh, yeah, we would go there. And in fact, they allowed you to reserve movies the day of. So I could, whenever they would open, I could mm-hmm. call them up and say, hey, I would love to rent uh, Halloween 5. Can you hold it for me? And they would go, yes, you have to be in here by 2 p.m. Right. right. So, yeah. <laughs> so that was always exciting. And then... Um, uh otherwise we yeah we it wasn't until later when we were memberships to blockbuster because they were always more expensive right um and i don't know how much they were awful too i just yes i agree i agree kind of hate blockbuster i'm not one of those that gets nostalgic for it uh no i'm way more nostalgic for the other videos yeah and then there was another one um a little farther away from my house but i would make the trip there because that guy had and it was just a small, it was in a shopping center and it was this, just this small video. He had everything. So awesome. I could go there and rent some of the more obscure titles. Cool. What, what, give me an example. What'd you go find there? Um, well, quite honestly, he had older movies that uh, the other places didn't have. So that's where I first rented um, some of the classic 60s and 70s type mm-hmm. stuff like uh, Manchurian Candidate and, uh, last picture show and i remember he would he would like talk to me because i i was like i had to have been like the only 16 17 year old going in there and renting those man being being um, 16 and watching last picture show that's pretty good yeah, yeah but i was I, but it's again, a great like, movie I, but it's also a great spank mix material so <laughs> <laughs> yes and i i would uh because i would read about these things mm-hmm. in um magazines or books of the library and go oh i I, obviously i want to see it i'm trying to think of what older horror movies i may have rented from him um things like house on haunted hill because i remember my Uh, dad telling me my dad told me that the scare because i I would always ask people hey what was the scariest movie you ever saw and uh and my dad told me when he saw house on haunted hill he goes there's a scene with an old lady that scared me so creepy man Dude, that thing that holds up so, and even as ridiculous did he go as see it, it is, did he go see he, it with the full like did the skeleton fly across and stuff? When you he know, saw he it? said he said he saw it in theaters, uh-huh. but I never got the impression that it was the full William Castle experience. Okay. I just got that the impression was, it was on that road trip. My son and I went on. We went to a, a cemetery and to find his grave, and it's the most sad underwhelming gravestone in the world for one of the greatest showmen ever it's i, I want to like take up a fund to give him the gravestone he deserves <laughs> no kidding where you walk up and you hear screams and you yeah. see a skeleton hand pop absolutely out and... the, the ground should buzz <laughs> yes yes i mean he, boy he would love that right that's a bummer what do you, do you remember where it is 
uh, it's in uh, Fair Fairlawn, Fairlawn, I believe. I have a picture it's... of me kissing it. So, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's fantastic. The um, you know, and that that actually kind of brings me to brings us to a topic. Would you say Joe Dante, um, even though he had huge hits, mm-hmm. um, was always a cult director? I think so, just in the sense that he's sincere, um, even when he's having fun, like in The Howling, which is a it's a it's a werewolf movie, but it's got a sense of humor. And it's so funny that it coincides with American Werewolf in London, even though they're very much diametrically opposed to each other as far as execution goes. They're both horror comedies and they're both having fun with the material, whereas Landis, I think he's a little too tongue in cheek to it, it. It comes across a couple times as insincere throughout that one. Whereas Joe Dante loves what he's doing and makes sure that everybody's given 110% all the way across the board in all of his films, the, the burbs, you know, I mean, the burbs is right. absolutely absurd on the face of it, but when it comes down to it, everybody in that is committed. Who would have thought that brother Theodore could have actually pulled something off that would make <laughs> you feel something, you know, <laughs> it's, it's very well done in that way. I think that's what makes a cult movie. A cult movie is that it's not aware of itself. It's, it's it's doing a good job or at least thinks it is Dana, Dana Gould said that he, he, um, when I had him here the other day, he said uh, a friend of his described plan nine as a movie that thinks it's doing a really good job making a movie. Right. And that's why it works. And I, yeah. I think that's a great description of what cult movies are. They're movies that really think they're doing well. Anybody who has set out to make a cult movie has always failed fails. abysmally. Always fails. Always right. fails. And Never Dante, works. I always thought, and the reason I brought him up is because we were talking about um, Castle. Yeah. And he did Castle. And, and he did Matinee, which was obviously a very loving tribute to that. Yeah. Uh, to that man and that genre. Mm-hmm. And a wonderful um essay on not only that time period of the cuban missile crisis and stuff yeah but how those movies were a direct reflection of that and absolutely uh, i mean it's just it, that matinee is as joyful and and sweet and and perfect a, 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 a sort of celebration of that time and uh genre as as there is absolutely but yeah you almost go man dante he never lost that's and i would say the difference between landis and dante's landis was oh, his tongue and cheekness is always very anti-authoritative, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Whereas Dante's is childlike yeah, almost. It's absolutely I mean, obviously That's based a on really, the, really good way to put it. Obviously based on the Warner Brothers cartoons, whereas Landis was more of a, you know, you could almost argue based on the old Bob Hope stuff of, hey, I'm thumbing my nose at all the uh, these these the, these figures of authority. Um, whereas Dante was going. I don't care about authority. I'm I'm having too much fun. <laughs> right. That's a really good way of putting it. Absolutely. It, yeah. He's as fascinating a, I mean, Gremlins two and uh, the original and um, what else? Oh yeah, but uh, mainstream Hollywood always said, "Hey, we want Dante for some of these things," and he went, "Okay, yeah, <laughs> you're gonna get a Dante." I yes. mean, he started out cutting trailers together for Corman. That's yeah. how you got to start. And, you know, all those guys who came out of the Corman school not only know how to make a movie, 
but they know how to do everything that needs to be done to make a movie. So they, they understand if you're the DP, they understand what you're going through. So they're going to listen to you and hear your opinion out. Whereas, you know, directors who, you know, somebody who's been acting for a while and just goes into directing, they're a fish out of water and they don't, they don't understand what all all the pieces that go together in this. And you can always, and it doesn't mean they can't be, yeah. And it doesn't mean they can't be successful at it, No, but they just, it's a different thing for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Are we getting back to that? Are we getting back to uh, because you can make a movie outside of the so-called Hollywood system mm-hmm. so easily now? Do you think we're getting back to an age or is it is it for is it for worse that we're getting back to that where anybody can make a movie and the quality is going to show? I think like everything, there's a shade of gray there. And the fact that you can pick up your phone and literally go out and shoot and edit an entire film on a small little handheld device right now. I think it's great. I also think that it means we're going to get a lot of shitty films, which yeah. happened in the Renaissance of the auteur theory. You know, you got, you, not everybody's going to be John G. Albertson. Not everybody's going to uh, be, uh, you know, Abel Ferrara and Abel Ferrara's right. hit and miss. Right. But, um, you know, but, but because of that, I think it's good because of that people are going to start seeing more art happen. And I think the pandemic killing off the huge theaters is a good thing because we will still have a resurgence of those small little, what they call art houses, but really they're just, you know, those second run theaters. Um, The Irving here in Irvington used to be that. Um, The Vogue in Louisville, I always think of, because that was kind of my, I might go to, I'd go there to see Rocky horror every Saturday. But when I was eight, my mom took me to see giant there, you know, just those kinds of little movie houses, I think have a chance at coming back now because there's something about that communal experience. Um, James Lorenz was here and we talked about that, that, that communal experience of sitting there, people, how other people react kind of inform the entire room. You know, one person gets scared, it makes the next person jump. And, and you know, it it's so much more fun to watch in that kind of environment than on my couch where I can pause it and go take a leak. I'd rather sit there and not want to leave. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to miss this. I'll, I'll get a bladder infection. I don't care. I want to know what's <laughs> about to happen. You know, <laughs> I, right. I, just, I like that experience. And I think that if this generation right now who's missing that experience for the most part once they get a taste of it i think they'll be like wait why was i watching these things alone it's you know sitting and watching go ahead it's a very optimistic view um because and i and i love it because i haven't heard it much i've heard oh the death of the cinema is going to be the death of the movie theater is going to be the death of where are we going to see all these smaller films and and, uh, and uh, art house? Not. No, and, and people who will make it work. Where you're going? No, no. There, what's going to what's going to come up out of these? That when the megaplexes shut down, mm-hmm. what's going to come up is are these uh, sort of niche theaters where we're going to see all that. I mean, on the flip side of being able to make movies now with anything, you can also show them anywhere. Yeah, you sure can. Uh, once yeah. a month, I show movies at a coffee house. And yeah. there, it's always like a family film that's kind of obscure and then something that nobody's heard of that I want to have people experience. I like yeah. watching people watch something new. This past weekend, I showed um, Yellow Submarine. There are a couple little kids there who'd never seen it mm-hmm. and were just enamored. 
Um, and then after that, the kids left and I showed Tromeo and Juliet where it was <laughs> one person in the crowd had seen it. The rest were like, I, what is happening? What is going on here? And, and now that guy, the guy who wrote that is directing some of the biggest Marvel exactly. movies. It was kind of fun. It was, I always do like the whole little, I always open them. I talk a little bit about the film and I do some factoids before and after each one. And on that one, I just came out and I said, James Gunn wrote this. It was his first screenplay. I'm going to let you watch it. Then I'll come back with more. (laughs) (laughs) You just need to experience this first. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) One thing I didn't know about that movie, I found out um, before I showed it, I was doing some research on it. He wrote the original screenplay of that entirely in iambic pentameter. And then, is that right? Yeah. And then he was like, you know what? The quality of actors that trauma gets are not going to be able to handle this. So he just told Lloyd it was in biambic pentameter and he went, okay. So he dumbed it down. Nice. Yeah. Boy, yeah, he gun sure took on a challenge when he um, <laughs> took what? I guess uh, Dawn of the Dead, where, where does that fall? The original. Uh, was, I don't know how mainstream it was when it came out. It was it was pretty popular. I mean, it it um, the social commentary of it, the you know, and of course, the gore effects, Savini's effects are, you know, <laughs> second to none in that. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it made box office. It made bank. And it yeah. had the it had staying power um, based okay. on the strength. I mean, not of the living dead. The only reason we know about it is because it wasn't trademarked. Right, right. So, you know, everybody was showing it's the same as It's a Wonderful Life. It, if it doesn't yeah. have a copyright on it, the TV stations can show it around a holiday. They're going to take it and show it, you know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and thankfully, both of those are terrific. Absolutely. Yes. What they are. Yes, uh, absolutely. Um, yeah. So, don't, if, for Gunn to go, uh, you know, was he commissioned for to write the script for the, the remake? I don't know. But he, I thought he killed I, I thought know. he nailed it. He, I thought, I thought he really, it was a lot of fun. It's, so it's, fun. it's the only Zack Snyder movie I can sit through, which is saying something because he's made. I think it's real his best shit. for Absolutely. sure. Yeah, I would agree. Man, yeah. Um, it's a lot I, of and fun. I had, I had hoped that Army of the Dead was going to be uh, in the same of the same uh, caliber, mm-hmm. and it, it wasn't. But no. um, it had its moments. I think uh, we, I'll watch we reached that moment of zombie glut. There was just so much of it that. I, I think we just you get fatigued when you, you sure know, do vampires take the lead for a while then zombies take the lead for a while uh, you know we'll have a werewolf resurgence i'm sure it just happens and yeah. that's kind of the the way it, the way big studios are making movies now where it's let's just find something that worked before and redo it right um you know that's not new uh, you mentioned little shop that's literally almost shot for shot the the Corman one is like a remake of Bucket of Blood. It's a, a nebbish guy who finds something that works, but people have to die for it to work. Right, right. You know, and yeah. that's um, it. It's simply just taking the same story and telling it over and over again. It's what a yeah. lot of art is. So when the big studios remake a movie that worked great the first time and fuck it up the second time and wonder why, well, it's because we're tired of it. We're just tired of it. Give mm-hmm. us something fresh and new, which, you know, James Gunn did with Slither. We had space slug stories, Night of the Creeps probably being the best of them. Right. But he took it, flipped it, did something new with it, 
gave it even more humor, <laughs> added to the right. score, kept effects practical for the most part. You know, right, it, which is taking, which is doing something new by doing something old. Yeah, at the time that came out. Yeah, absolutely. Going, hey, enough CGI. I'm getting gooey. Yeah, which I think, um, I I can't. I may have been Roger Ebert who said it, and that'd be the only thing that I ever agreed with Roger Ebert. Roger Ebert ever saying, but um, he said he said uh, the CGI looks real but feels fake practical effects look fake but feel real oh that's great i think yeah. that's a perfect explanation of that yeah and uh the fact that roger ebert said it kind of amazes me but um <laughs> <laughs> that's funny i i uh i find myself agreeing with ebert a lot um i, I just kind of i don't like critics much. i'm with you i'm with I just you think they're an unnecessary thing I feel like a lot of times, you know who I agreed with a lot was Siskel. Now, there were times where I vehemently mm-hmm. disagreed with him, but I felt like Siskel and uh, and Ebert could watch a movie for what it was and not. I mean, I remember and, and when I realized that it was when Kingpin wow. came out and they both loved it. Mm-hmm. And I went, OK, these guys can enjoy, you know, they're not just merchant ivory. Uh, right. <laughs> critics yeah they can actually enjoy a movie for what it's trying to do mm-hmm. and um i appreciated that about those guys but but you're right there were other times where it was maddening that they well, would get so the the fact like silent night deadly night would not be a franchise if it weren't for them no kid you're because exactly right they were so hateful toward it <laughs> right and because they they toured a new asshole i mean there was no reason to review that film it would have been completely <laughs> under the radar they just wanted to go on a campaign on something and they turned it into something huge which made the same way. possibly one of the greatest sequels of all time yeah in, in silent night deadly night 2 right which is just right. an insane movie it's totally nuts it, and um <laughs> They also, I don't think they understood too that they were like all they did in their campaign against the Friday the 13th franchise was help double its money. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Which, By being you know, and so it's, adamantly against it. it it's, it's, I, I always wondered were they aware of this? Is this part of their plan? Were they getting kickbacks? Why were they? That's so always been the argument. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know, man. Yeah, they may have been on Paramount's payroll. For right. A while <laughs> that was Slumber Party Massacre was another one I remember where they were they were, you know, it's it's another slasher that would have been forgotten. But yeah, because of them, they turned it into this. Well, he's using an actual drill and penetrating women with it, and it's just about violence against women. Like every slasher is about no lives matter. That's all it is. A slasher exactly. is nothing matters to anyone ever male female dogs cats doesn't matter they die right and, and fellas did you not watch the universal horror movies where that's all the wolfman is about right raw i mean it's, a, it's i mean you go back even further um my girlfriend and i were talking about watching it again last night the black cat with um yes lugosi and Karloff. yeah is a fucked up movie yeah yeah absolutely i mean just there's women floating in glass that he keeps and kinky as hell there's a he flays him on screen in a silhouette you know it's insane crazy yeah that was 30 what 34 or something 32 34 i can't remember but it's 30s you know pre-code and yeah uh, it's it's absolutely insane right and 
no lives so mattered in that one. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and b- by the way, Slumber Party Massacre 2, also one of the most batshit <laughs> crazy movies ever made. I've shown that one. When I screened it, I turned it into a sing-along. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have like a bouncing drill? I had the words go across the street. <laughs> Yeah, that I mean, what a how nuts! I didn't see the remake. Did you? I think it was on Sci-Fi, and then no. it's gotten a life on VOD. No, I haven't. It's probably I, on Tubi. Isn't Slumber Party Massacre also one of those that was directed by a woman? And Slumber Party Massacre Two was okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 So the argument of it's like, hey, that's no. what they did. They they when they made Slumber Party Massacre Two, they hired a woman to write and direct, and. You know, she was looking to kind of turn it on its head, which she did, which I thought was yeah. great. She made it yeah, very campy. She went over the top with it. Um, it, it is fun as hell. It, it like, is. It's one of those weird movies, like so many songs in it. None of them are good. No. And, just, <laughs> and then they do the one cover when he comes in and does Let's Buzz. And it's like, <laughs> oh, no, that's good. <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> uh, yeah, that thing, that thing's wild. That's all. <laughs> What would you say is the uh, most mainstream cult movie where it, uh, it, it transcended um, cult status? I mean, besides Rocky Horror, I, I, I yeah, guess that I mean, would be. Rocky Horror would probably, that's the first one that popped into my head. But, you know, it's like Plan 9 became mainstream because of the movie Ed Wood. Yeah. You know, people unless you were like really a nerd about this stuff, you, you didn't know what plan nine from outer space was, but at this point, I'd probably say the room, uh, Tommy. Oh, Wiseau that's it. Yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah. Probably be the one that, you know, but you know, back in the day, like deep throat was a trendy movie for people to go sure see. Was. Now it's a cult film, but back in the, I mean, you know, it was oh, Carson. Went celebrities. It. Yeah. Yeah. Celebrities were going to see it. There's a, there's a story. I think it was, uh, I can't remember who it was that was going to see it. They were, they were just terrified. They were going to be recognized <laughs> and then they're waiting in line to go in and Jack Benny comes out and he goes, Oh, you're going to love it. I've seen it twice. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So, you know, it's the, there's a lot of movies that were popular that, still have life today but in a cult way and that would be one of them um harold and maude um a lot of hal ashby actually being what a lovely film yeah yeah Yeah. harold and maude's one of my favorite movies yeah i love i love being there and i but i do love forrest gump (laughs) 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 so and i just i can't help it i i don't know i I mean it's i do not judge anyone's taste man same I here. I don't Same here. shame. You get in what you get in. No way. That's all there yeah. is to it. <laughs> I love when people love things. And I, I get bummed out when I don't like things. I, I it's like, oh, I wanted to like I, yeah. I don't because I, I think there's we've got we've gotten to a point where hating on things is uh, sort of uh cool. And it's I've never bummer, isn't it? I've never been that way. I fail I don't compilations like... is a thing. My my son always yes. watches fail compilations. I'm like, why don't you watch people do things right? Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, to me, it's more fun to watch people succeed at something. You know? <laughs> exactly. I don't like not liking something. I would rather yeah. enjoy. And um, and I also always, uh, you know, it's like, man, a lot of good people worked hard on it. And just because it didn't work out, 
it's that old uh, that old adage that it takes as much work to make a bad movie as a good movie and it sure it's, does it's true yeah. um you know it's there's a director named neil breen and if you haven't seen anything he's done i highly recommend it his movies are not good i mean objectively bad films um poor editing the acting's abysmal the plots are nonsense they, they make you can watch from beginning to end and have no clue what you just watched they're way too long <laughs> i love every one of them because he puts <laughs> his heart and soul into everyone they're very egotistical okay he, he casts himself as god in one of them he's always the hero he always gets the pretty girl and, you know it the sex scenes are awful. They're uncomfortable to watch. They make you a little queasy. Um, <laughs> but but he, you know, he really works at these and puts a lot of money and time into them. And I, I, anybody who would want to watch it is just to watch a movie would they wouldn't make it ten minutes. Okay. But when you're sitting with a group of people, have a few beers, they're great fun. There are movies where I am a, a, I'm a hypocrite because uh, I love and hate them at the same time. And I don't know what I don't I can't reconcile it. Uh, boyhood comes to mind mm -hmm. where, man, I, I did feel some things when I watched it. And uh, but that's as non movie a movie as there like it's there's a certain degree of watching the director masturbate. Where there sure is they're pleasuring themselves and you just have to sit there and wait till they complete. Yes. And, and I, but I still got something out of it and I, um, I, I can't dis, I can't totally dismiss it. Mm -hmm. So, but I also kind of hated it mm -hmm. <laughs> because it wasn't anything. And, so yeah, it's, but you're thinking about it still. And that to me exactly. is always the mark of a good film. Right. You know, it's I, when I, I showed a Neil Breen film, and a guy came to see it who had never seen one of his movies. And like two days later, he texts me and he goes, I'm still thinking about that movie. And if that's the mark of a good film, Neil Breen's a genius. Oh, dude. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. The human centipede movies are technically some of are really well done. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think the first one's hysterical. I think it's one of the funniest movies of, of that decade, man. I, and I, I mean, that guy, the, 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 can't think of his name now the guy the german mad scientist i'm right. a sucker for mad scientist movies anyway but <laughs> he was so good and so much fun and yes it made the movie work for me the second one's heinous the second it's, one it's i went away. to see it in the theater i went to see a midnight screening uh it was like the opening like night of human centipede 2 and i went if i'm gonna watch it i want to watch it in a crowd where it's gonna be raucous and people mm -hmm. are gonna be having a good time with it and the exact opposite happened. There's no way it to was, have fun watching it. Exactly. It was so silent and everybody was just miserable. <laughs> and the thing about it is when I left, I went, I can't completely for as, as despicable as I thought it was. I can't uh, deny how technically good it was. Mm -hmm. Like it, it's man. I wish I could just totally dismiss it. Yeah. But the guy, Tom Six or whatever, mm -hmm. kind of knows what he's doing when he's. <laughs> yeah. And then the third one is just bonkers. And, you know, and I haven't seen it yet. It's I, ha I still haven't crazy. watched it. It's Eric Roberts and 
it, prisoners and it's yeah. way over the top. It's it's a lot. It's a lot of fun, actually. Can I watch that alone in my house and not yeah. have it ruin my week? Yeah, it's okay. more, it's All a right. lot more fun. The second okay. one is like it's almost like he was punishing us for enjoying the first one. You're exactly right, man. He wanted to. It's what Stephen King always said about Kubrick's The Shining is he just wanted to hurt people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I that's how I felt about Human Centipede too. I went, oh, gee, sorry. What did we do to deserve this? <laughs> Here I thought I, we were going to laugh along at some right. <laughs> uh, midnight movie, and you gave us—you almost gave us a Serbian film. Right. <laughs> no, thank you. As, you know the movies that do that. My son just watched *Man Bites Dog* for the first time, and oh. he's twenty. My son's twenty-three, and he he said, "I'm going to watch that one." I'm like, "Good luck." I've, <laughs> I've, I've done it. I'm like, "It's good. Everybody should watch it." But it's it's kind of like funny games where it. It oh. draws you in and draws you in and draws you in and then turns the camera back on you and said, you've been enjoying this. You're an asshole. Yeah. And yeah. Man bites dog does that to the nth degree. <laughs> have you ever seen How do you it? feel now? Yes. Have you seen yeah. that one? That yeah. French one? Uh -huh. It's yeah. And it's, you come out of it. You're just like, <laughs> why, why did I just do that to myself? I'm going to go watch, I'm going to go watch 120 days of Sodom to wash my palate out. <laughs> I, I went to a midnight showing of uh, cannibal Holocaust. <laughs> and the guy hosting it goes, uh, who here has already seen it? And, uh, you know, half the audience raised their hands and he goes, why are you here? Right. <laughs> <laughs> why are you putting yourself through this again? <laughs> That's one my son, he's, he's talked about. He's like, I want to watch that one just to, you know, because I know it's important and I need to see it. I'm like, That's awesome. I will not watch it with you. Yeah, I've, no, I've, I've, seen I've been it through that one. I'm good. Yep. I'm good. I'm like, and it's not. And it's not even that it, the film bothers me. It's the, the animal deaths. I'm, like, I'm, I'm exactly with that you. again. No. <laughs> and I told him, no I'm like, will upset that's you. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's, yeah. If you've ever wanted to see what it looks like when a turtle is torn apart. Yeah. You're going to watch it. <laughs> um, and by the end, there are a couple of times where you will look at some of the effects and go, mm -hmm. that woman is dead. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, you I know, still... famously, he went to, to trial. Right, right. They thought and he, he to, just filmed a snuff film. Yeah, and he had to go, Your Honor, here are the actors. The actors had to come in and testify, which the point, the fact that it got to that point is so absurd to me. I'm like, what yeah. What were the prosecutors doing to prep for this trial? Well, but then you look at that effect of that woman on the stake. Mm -hmm. That's Academy Award winning quality practical effect right there. I, and is. that is... And it works because it was shot on grainy 16 millimeter and if that were shot already, today. Right. And they've also already shown us live animal killing, real yeah. animal killing. So we have no reason not to believe that they went that far. Right. Yeah. And, and uh, also I would argue that the score of that movie could have been nominated for an Academy Award. <laughs> it's so that score is so weird. Like the trailer for it. I I run the trailer occasionally and that it's it's the music almost sounds like a, a romance it's beautiful it's if that had been in a james music. l brooks movie yeah it would have been nominated absolutely it's crazy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it, i think that's part of what makes the movie so disturbing because it does cause that disconnect yes where you're like, why why is this what's playing over what's happening on the <laughs> <No>. screen <laughs> so and that's where you have to go all right were the, did the filmmakers know what they were doing or did they just go eh, let's just use that score or yeah, it, there's a uh, it's something that I've had with uh, Rob Zombie movies where I go, uh, 
he either there are times where he is a genius and there are times where I'm convinced he has no idea mm-hmm. he knows he doesn't know what he's doing at all. Yeah. And uh, that's kind of, to me that's kind of the fun of those. I'm a, mm-hmm. I I'm, I'm I would say I'm a fan of his movies. I am too. Um, yeah. Uh boy is he divisive in the horror world. Uh, yeah. Um it, but I also kind of like that. I like that there's conversation mm-hmm. going and there was I didn't I tried 31 and I couldn't do it. Just I just bored me. It's um, it's weak. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, um, I loved his uh, his first Halloween. I didn't care for. I thought it was unnecessary. I think mm-hmm. giving a backstory to Michael kills the myth of the shape. You know, right? The, a guy who who does all these things for no known reason is far scarier to me than somebody Horrifying. who has a reason. Uh, absolutely. But his Halloween two is bonkers, and I love it. I love it too. Every it's... second of it, I love. It's absolutely bonkers, and I'm with you, man. I, I, it is. I mean, mommy issues and and oh, surreal dinner scenes, and I just, it's lovely. It's yeah, a great film. Jeff Daniel Phillips, who's, uh, I'm gonna, you know what? He's one of my, he's like in my top ten actors right now. Yeah. I just yeah. love, love that he's, you know, he's just throwing a hissy fit and right. <laughs> threatening to fight <laughs> Tyler Maine who's this massive <laughs> uh man I mean there yeah, that thing is nuts yeah that's that movie is crazy and I, I applaud it for being so crazy hey guys Dylan popping in for a second I took out some stuff we just talked for a long time so I've, I've cut a little bit out here and picked it up where we're talking about movies that messed us up as children favorite topic of mine so here we go again uh the omen when david warner takes this that plate of glass of, i was i went well they just cut somebody's head off i can't believe <laughs> i can't believe they found an actor to agree to this <laughs> that's super effective the omen scared the shit out of me and it's that kid that creepy yeah. little dead-eyed kid <laughs> who's cute He's, a He's adorable. Kid. He's adorable, <laughs> but he'd just stare at you like there was nothing behind those eyes. <laughs> yeah. God. And then when he at the end, he just turns right to the camera and smiles, and yep. you have to walk out of the theater with that. <laughs> you go, All right. <laughs> Gregory Peck lost. That never happens in the movies with him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I never considered that aspect of it. People must have been kind of what? <laughs> yeah. It'd you be can't like have having a... John Wayne die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would be a funny that'd be an interesting double feature to have to kill a mockingbird and the omen <laughs> the omen a gregory just, peck film fest so how the hell did he not win in the omen <laughs> the guy the guy beats racism right in one <laughs> and he can't beat a kid in the other one <laughs> yeah that's wild. <laughs> the there were some scenes too when I was a kid that really affected me. Um, maximum Overdrive, uh, when a kid gets run over by a steamroller, <laughs> and the Blob, the um, the remake, Char- uh, Chuck Russell, yeah, where a kid is uh, trying to escape like in the sewers, and the Blob gets him, and then like mm-hmm. a minute later, his his being eaten away body leaps out of the water. Because I remember both of those times going, wait, kids can die? Yeah. And these, uh, and there was a kind of a, a, I don't know if it was a written rule or an unwritten rule, 
um, where they where Hollywood went, hey, if you have a kid dying, it's an X. It's an automatic X rating um, for a while. And uh, mm-hmm. those I was just like, ah, we're not screwing around here. You're killing you're killing me. It, it gives it stakes. <laughs> yeah, it, it gives yeah. it real stakes when you when you I like movies that build and Stephen King does this in his writing, or at least used to be able to do it. I, I haven't read a lot of his more recent stuff, but where um, I remember in particular in The Stand, he spends, you know, five pages building a backstory for a character, then kills him. Yep. Yeah. And it 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 gives you those stakes all of a sudden, kind of like exactly. the Game of Thrones, you know, they build Ned Stark up and then behead him before the first chapter's over. And you're like, wait a minute, I, who am I supposed to be following here? Right. Well, it's guess and, what? It's, it's all, it's all, it's it, everything in this is disposable. Yeah. So, it's Janet Lee and, um, psycho. Yeah. Or, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, uh, man, Pulp oh fiction. man. Pulp or you can argue they killed John Travolta in the, you know, yeah, right in the middle of the movie, you go, what the hell? Yeah, that stuff like that is really, and that's why the slasher genre takes such heat because they're two, they're typically two dimensional, if not one dimensional. Yeah. yeah. And um, I mean, Halloween you know, did the unthinkable in killing a dog. And that is, and, you're exactly right. And when they do that, you know, yeah, it's awful. That, it's go, always that funny thing where it's like, kill as many people as you want, but come on. <laughs> <laughs> right you kill the but dog when you do that it raises the stakes so much more it absolutely does yeah and to me and, it makes and, it more fun to watch right right you know and, it's 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 gonna and when you do that with a kid you know killing a kid is is going to make you change your view on what you're watching completely yeah. and it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna up tension because now yep. who is safe and the they did that and um the new Halloween. Uh, they sure remake, did. Where he's he's killing it. People who look like teenagers. It's not 20-year-olds playing teenagers. It's teenagers playing teenagers. But then there's that scene where there's the baby crying after he's just brutally murdered the mother. Yeah. And he's walking by that crib. And, and he looks. I, I thought. And, and part of me was like, if he kills the baby, this movie's going to be incredibly scary. And if he doesn't, this moment's going to be incredibly scary. I don't care which happens here. <laughs> right. It, it was it was a great moment, though. Because if I remember correctly, he glances into the crib. He looks. Yeah, he checks <laughs> yeah. it out. He thinks about it. He's thinking about it. <laughs> Nuts. And because and, and but they all he kills like a 10 year old. Yeah. In that uh, who he's who he's with his father or whatever. And he's saying, hey, I want to yeah. be a dancer or something. And yep. we, we I think we watch Michael snap his neck. I can't if remember. I remember if I remember correctly, but he definitely kills the kid on screen and you I go need to oh. watch that one again. I haven't watched it since it came out. I need to watch it again. But how long have we been talking? You probably have other things to do. Yeah, we've you? been going on for about two hours. So okay. We, uh, um. <laughs> we have. <laughs> That's the thing. I get going on this and I can just keep talking. So <laughs> yeah, me too, man. Well, we'll definitely talk again. Whether yeah, it be this is fun in person or on uh you know via your podcast. But sure. is there anything that you wanted to ask before we well i was gonna up. give you a chance to talk about the radio show what's happening what do you guys got going on give you we're give, having fun go ahead man. And promote a little bit sure we're having a lot of fun it's um uh the bob and tom show is uh undeniably a different show than it was sure. um there's but, a lack of, there's a there's an alarming lack of bob 
There is. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like to think that his spirit, um, uh, and, and obviously he's still uh, alive and sure. doing great yeah. and everything. Yeah. <laughs> but in terms of in the studio, his spirit is still in the studio, mm-hmm. and um, uh, the sensibilities and the philosophies and um, uh, the work and the professionalism that he you know, uh, brought to the show and helped build mm-hmm. the show um, uh, is still here. And boy, we're having a good time. Um, the changes have been good. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you can't listen on terrestrial radio, uh, bobandtom.com or the app, uh, it's great. You can listen anywhere you anywhere from anywhere. And um, please do. I've got an Instagram if you're interested. It's that Josh Arnold's. And my website, thatjosharnold.com, has my stand-up dates on it. Okay. So, yeah. That's good to know. I'll put that in the bio and stuff when I put this out. So. Oh, cool. Thanks, yeah. man. Man, I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. This is a lot of fun. Thanks, All Josh. Right, thanks, man. See you, dude. You Have a good time. Bye-bye. There you go. A Labor Day very special episode. Josh is a lot of fun to talk to. Next up, it will be part two with Chris Frieri from Ghostland Films. I hope you guys enjoyed part one with him. Yeah, he's a hell of an interesting dude. Uh, Yeah, that's it. Hey, get back out in the world. It's Labor Day. I hope you're out there having fun and not laboring. And when you're out and about, take care of your servers because at the Walter Paisley Movie House, we do not piss on hospitality. Thanks, guys. See you in a week.